17 is where we'll begin. We have a topical message today. <clears throat> we uh, usually are in the book of Matthew. Take a little pause from that today. Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> and today I'd like to give God's perspective on racial issues. God's perspective on racial issues from, from a survey of Scripture, really, not just one. <clears throat> and if, you, um, if, we, if we're reading our Bible and we're, you know, we know what it says, the whole racial tension and debate, it uh, shouldn't be hard for us to figure out. It should be pretty easy uh, to know God's mind on it. And um, so what we're going to look at <clears throat> is perspective on racial issues. We're going to start out in Acts 17 now just to help you get a, imagine the, the scene here. The Apostle Paul is he's a Jewish, uh, he's a Jewish man. He's got Roman citizenship and he's in Athens, Greece, the Athenians, speaking to another group of men that different mind, different culture. And uh, he's giving a speech. He's actually really preaching to them. He's going to present them with Christ, and they're not going to like it. But I want you to see one particular thing he says <clears throat> in Acts 17. We'll, let's just do verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 24. So verse 28 is what we'll read. Verse 24 to 28, Acts 17. Again, Paul is speaking to the Athenians. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Notice the, notice the phrase there, verse 26, that Paul asserts that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. How many of us have a European heritage? All right, I think I do, according to... All right, uh, Hispanic heritage, all right, cool, all right. And Asian, Nakatsu, yeah, Asian Pacific, yeah, we, look at that. International Royal View Baptist here. Um, African, anybody? Sometimes, yeah, all right. Got some back there. Jewish, anybody got a little bit of Jewish blood? Okay, all right, look at this. But wait a minute. What did the Jew what did the what did the African heritage come from? What did the European where was their heritage? What was the Asians' heritage? If you were in Asia 2000 years ago, where were you from? Well, we came from and it's going to go back to something else and it'll go back to 
some descendants, 70 families that were after the Tower of Babel, and which came from three other families named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's blood. We go back to that blood, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and their blood goes back to Noah. And then Noah, of course, he pre- and post-ark person, goes back to Adam. So we all have Adam's blood. We all have Noah's blood, all of us. So when we say, this is my flesh and blood right here, we usually say, when we're talking to a child or a person, a relative, oh, it's my flesh and blood. And, we, and, you know, we usually mean it's my immediate close family. But we all have, we're all from the same flesh and blood. There was only one Adam that is the, I should, the first of Jesus is the second Adam. There's one Adam by way of biologically, one Adam. And we came from that one Adam, and there was so much genetic potential in him and Eve that produced such a variety of, we would say races, it's best to say people groups or ethnicities. That's where we came from. So in reality, um, we are all family, humanly speaking. We're all offspring. God made us all of one blood. We're all in the human family. Now, we're not all in God's family. That's a different issue. But today, of course, we're living in our country as the racial tensions have risen again because of the incident in, in Minnesota, and then perhaps some already grudges have been welling up because of how people have been treated or alleged to be treated. You know, there's um, of uh, African-American particularly uh, by police, and I wonder how often it's happening. I don't think it doesn't seem like it's happening that often, but... Nevertheless, the whole idea and the whole issue of race, race is put in front of our face and people are um, get angry on one side or angry on another and people, um, it's tense. You know, you can't hardly say anything. Did I need to apologize for what I just said a minute ago? Well, I didn't mean it that way. I just said the, the sun is bright. I mean, people is making you apologize for every little thing you say. Uh, people are tense and on edge. Um, people are upset about racial treatment because of something that happened to them when they were younger or their parent or grandparent in the civil rights era or maybe even Hispanic families that had some mistreatment years ago. And so sometimes old grudges come up and say, yeah, we need to change things and, and all that. And I'm not saying that politically some things couldn't change. I'm not trying to establish political policy here, but... But right now there's that tension, and, and then with the riots that have happened um, with, um, you know, they had the police officer incident in um, Minnesota, and so it's triggered these riots, and people, some have good intentions, some have bad intentions, some hidden intentions, and I think some people are using this to get in a political agenda. They're perhaps, I bet you, honestly, I think some people are absolutely glad this happened because it's a, it's a vehicle for them to get in some kind of um, agenda that they want to slip in now for political purposes or financial purposes. And others are, have a legitimate, you know, they're, hey, this isn't right. You know, in my community, I've seen cops do this and that. And maybe in their little microscopic or their little small world, they've seen cops mistreat African-Americans or other people of other uh, races, and so they might think they project that on the whole country, and the whole country must be that way. And so they might think that way, and, 
and they may have a concern. And, and so I think some of this is being exploited by some people um, for crime, of course. We've had, we've had the riots and the crime. Some people are probably happy that there's a frenzy so they can have an excuse to commit a crime. And it's, it's, what it's doing is bearing the ugly side right. of man, our sinfulness. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, when I was younger, um, my dad had took me a few times to, I don't even know if it's called this anymore, Firebird International Raceway. Has it changed the name to like the casino or something? The casinos have the names for everything. Well, it used to be called Firebird International Raceway. Anybody ever been there? The drag strip over here? Okay. Um, we went there a few times. My dad and I went there. And one of the times we had, um, well, let me back up. <laughs> How many of you ever seen top fuel drag cars? I mean, like within 20 yards. I, I, so we went there uh, one time, and I remember being down by the bleachers and these top field drag cars, and they're funny cars, and there's a rocket car that was kind of like the novelty, and then some others. But I remember the top field drag cars and the funny cars, I would be only within like 20 yards. And I couldn't see straight. I mean, it was so loud, it, and I'd go like that. It was loud, so I'd have to hold my hand on my ears. They're so loud. And they would rev up, and when they took off, I mean, my, I was like, my, I couldn't see straight. I was like, it's shaking the ground, and I, I can't see this. It was this loud, I mean, it seemed like something's cool going on, but it was just, ah, ah, I thought this was cool. You know, it's not that cool. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so my dad and I had, so I was down by the bleachers a few times, but my dad and I had a customer at our body shop. He was a, he was involved in Jolly Rancher Candy, and Jolly Rancher Candy was a big sponsor at the time for a few of the drag, uh, big-name drag guys. And uh, he gave my dad and I, so we painted this, his, name's, his name is Rich Dennis, is the man, our customer's name. We painted a few of his vehicles. In fact, he used to live here in Gilbert. And one time he basically gave us, I don't know how it worked, Dad, it's like basically we got tickets to go up into the tower at Firebird International Raceway. Is it like three stories, four stories? What is it? I think we're on the second or third story up in this tower. Um, that was the third story. So we got, we got to go in there. It was like a little suite. It's not big. It's, the tower is not that big. But we got to go in there. And um, in our third floor, they have a few. The seats even, it's kind of like you know, four rows that are even um, you know, like little bleachers there, even in the even in that tower, and you got snacks in the back, of course, Jolly Rancher candy and stuff like that. And so I'm like, this is cool. Yeah, go get some pop and candy and sit down. And, and so we had really good seats, and we're right there, right at the, kind of like the drag strips like this, and it's kind of like this at an angle looking right there at him. You can see them both, uh, the drag cars stage themselves and do their burnout and then back up and then, then their race. So that was really neat. I got to sit in there with my dad and Rich and some other guys, and and we're watching, I'm like, this is great. I can see it. I can see the burnout. I can see the, um, you know, I can see the, the, the nice car. I can see when it, when it, when it takes off, it, it, my eyes aren't going like that, you know. I, I can see it clearly. This is great. I love this, you know. You know, it makes me, it's kind of an analogy of something for us as Christians is that if you and I, no matter what the issue is, 
no matter what it is, if it's a racial issue, the homosexual issue, the abortion issue, all kinds of social issues, and they're going to come and go, and some of them are going to come and stay longer, and new ones will come. No matter what the issue is, when we're down on the mental level of everybody else, and we're wrapped up in the frenzy and the mentality of everyone else, you really can't see straight. But when you get step, put your mind into God's Word and lift yourself up a little bit and see from His perspective, you will see every issue clearly like He wants, to, wants you to. Thy judgments are right. God's viewpoint is right and clear It's in the Scripture. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, the psalmist says. In other words, we need to have God's worldview on everything. And I'm just saying, as we come back to this thought, is that we, of all people in the world, should be able to see through the whole racial issue clearly, not because we're special, but because we've been redeemed. And God says, Here, I want, here's how I want you to see the world. This is how I see it. Here's how I want you to see lost humanity. Here's how I want you to see the nations. Here's how I want you to see yourself. Rather than being down here among all the others, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I got this heated, I got this heated notion. I got this heated. I don't really care about what everybody else thinks. What does God say about any one issue? That's what I want to know first. So as I've looked in the Bible, and we dealt with this last year on Wednesday nights, we do this series called God's Word on Today's Issues, and we dealt with this. And I'll, you'll probably hear a few things that we that you were taught last year on a Wednesday night. But here's what I want to assert that are helpful. I'll probably only do three of them right now, and then perhaps the other two tonight. Is there's five truths, again, truths, God's truth, five truths that I believe will guide us in our view of so-called racism. Five Bible, five Bible truths. Let me just tell you them. And I think if we take them seriously, it'll be like, okay, this helps balance my mentality and my attitude. The first thing is this, and we'll look at these first three, and I'll, but I'm going to give you an overview. Number one, you see in the scripture that God divided the nations. All right? We're going to see that. Number two, God's son died for all of them. Number three, God directs his church to be multi-ethnic. It's very clear in the Bible. Number four, God hates pride in any flavor. Number, number four, God hates pride in any flavor, every flavor. Number five, God values the inner man without respect to the outer man. Now, if we were to take, those are Bible truths. If we were to take those seriously, that would just help our mentality. It'd help our attitude. So let's consider those truths today. Let's consider the fact when it comes to race, things like that, do you realize that God is the one who caused it to be that there should be nations and that we look different and we have languages. God caused that. Let's look in Genesis chapter 10. <clears throat> Genesis 10, and we'll look at verse 32, and then we'll look at a couple verses in chapter 11. Genesis 10.32, it says, Now these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. 
Now, again, verse 32 is describing all the verses before it. See all those verses before it? The sons of Javan, and these are the sons of the so-and-so, and this is the son of this person. And, and it's giving about 70 families, if I remember right, 70 families in chapter, seven, chapter 10 are listed. Verse 32, it comments, these are the families that basically came out from Noah. Of course, they came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons. And then eventually it was 70 families. And what, what most Bible commentators that take the Bible literally believe, this was about the amount of families that had to disperse the Tower of Babel. Verse chapter 11 tells about the Tower of Babel. All right, I'm not going to read all of it, but let me tell you a few quick things about it. It's important that we understand it, though. God had told after Noah and his sons got off the ark, he says, now go out, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That basically means have a lot of kids and go everywhere. And don't just stay in one spot. But they didn't do that. They had, they had families and they kind of, hey, let's stay together, man. Let's have a kind of a globalist group here. Let's all be together. And we're going to build a tower. Look what we can do. And it kind of had this humanistic uh, globalist mentality. Let's just stay together and see what man can do. And they built this tower. And God said, that's pretty cute. Let me go check it out. And he goes down there and he checks it out. Whoa, I'm impressed. I'm being sarcastic here. But God did come down and check it out. And, he's, and basically, God's like, well, they didn't do what I said, so all of a sudden, everybody's speaking differently. Man, I don't understand that guy anymore. Well, I don't understand you anymore. And all of a sudden, people couldn't understand you. God confounded their languages. And I don't know exactly how many. Perhaps it was 70. I don't know. But God confounded the languages. He said, I told you to do this. And, and that's how he got them to split up. And so they split up, and some went one way, and some went another, and Another, and when some went one way, eventually some other years, some kept going another way. And it just, you know, all, you know, you, there's a whole, it's a fascinating study on the dispersion of the nations. It's fascinating. But I'm trying to summarize it. Basically, if you get a group of people going off in another area and they multiply among themselves, they're going to end up looking a certain way. And if they don't have enough melanin in their skin... Melanin makes us darker. And then, man, I don't, this heat's getting to me. They're going to tend to go to a cooler place. And there's a whole study on this, but it basically that we are the, the nations, the different looks, the different genetic characteristics started out because people divided up. And it's really to the glory of God that we have this variety. Because that He created Adam and Eve with such genetic potential. They're probably brown. People say white and black, and I say that too. But in reality, we're all brown. Do I have a piece of paper here? That's white. If you saw me like that, you'd call 911. I'm brown. Sometimes reddish brown. When I get sick, I'm a greenish brown, you know. That's white. That genetically, we all have like a brown, you know, so Adam and Eve have this, this potential of having, and again, scientists, geneticists, they can know this. There's such potential in them to have the dark and then eventually the light and then all, it's a, it's a fascinating study. So, you know, there was that genetic potential, but God, God did that. He, he, he made that potential in Adam and Eve and then after the ark, they dispersed the nations and then the nations became distinctly looking a certain way. 
Number two, so God divided the nations. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to look at chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, just so you see what it, kind of a summary there. Chapter 11, so the Lord scattered them. He saw what they're building, and he said, all right, I need to scatter them. He scattered them abroad, verse 8 says, from, from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Ah, they didn't get a finished building that. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Babel means confusion, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Scattered them abroad. He never said to not ever interact still, but he just got people scattered. You know, it's, it's kind of like God made this beautiful earth. And uh, the flood destroyed it, and then waters receded, and he was a, a new earth. And everybody stayed in one place. It's like God said, why don't you go check out the rest of the earth I made? Check out the rest of the animals. And they didn't, so he divided the nations. And that's as a result, so we have our dis- distinctions here in our appearance and our nationalities. Number two, this is an important truth, as we, as we think about racism and racial tension, just think, you know what, God made us different. It's to His glory. Number two, God's Son died for all. If we're all the sons of Adam, that's who Jesus came to die for. He didn't come to die for the sons of something else. He came to die for the sons of Adam. And that's who we are. God's Son died for all. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, uh, God said, Jesus Christ said to His Jewish disciples, He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach, He told His disciples, all nations, the word nations is ethnos, go teach all ethnicities. He told his disciples. Jesus, why? Because Jesus died for all. Um, why did Jesus die for all peoples, all nations? Because all peoples have a sin problem. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no difference. Um, in fact, Romans 3.10, Paul emphasizes, he says, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone aside. They have all gone their own way. There's no difference, Paul says. There is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And but he, So in other words, Paul says, and, and Paul knew he's talking to. He knew that Jews tended to be very self-righteous. Greeks tended to be, were the intellects. Who knows what everybody else thought. Paul says everybody's got a sin problem. And that's why Jesus came to die for everybody's sin problem. And by the way, since everybody has a sin problem, every race can have, every ethnicity can tend to be racist. Everybody can be racist. I've seen all sorts. If you get in a, if you, if a culture gets big enough, Eventually, the sin's going to manifest itself in, you know, Hispanic racism to Hispanics being racist to somebody else, and Native Americans being racist to somebody else, whites being racist back to somebody else, whites being racist to, they think the guy on the other side of town, and I'm racist to the guy that lives in that town that maybe looks like me. People, we have this perverted, twisted way of looking down our nose at somebody 
who looks different than us, sounds different than us, smells different than us, uh, lives in a different thing to us, and we have that tendency because of sin, not because of not government funding. So, it's a sin problem. And by the way, the salvation is for, I love Romans 10, 12, and 13. It says, for whosoever, let me just read it, Romans 10, 12, and 13. You can see it with me if you want. <clears throat> Paul says, Romans 10, 12, and 13, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. He's saying the Jew and the non-Jew. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, Paul's saying, look, in other words, Paul's saying, yes, the Jew has a, an advantage in some ways because he had the Scriptures and he knew he was close to the oracles of God and unto them were committed God's covenants. But, but God, Paul's saying, listen, if, any, if a Jew does not call on the name of the Lord, he's not going to be saved. But if a Greek or some other person who hardly knows anything about the Lord except he hears the gospel, he calls on the name of the Lord, he's going to be saved. There's no difference to God. He's no respecter of persons in that sense. Jesus, God's Son, died for all. You know, you know this whole thing, all of our friend, all of our, the tension, it really bothers me. It breaks my heart of these riots and stuff like that's going on, which, and I want to say something else about that. But it keeps making me think, like the, the one black lady that walked in the big crowd and had the T-shirt and said, y'all need Jesus on her T-shirt. I'm like, that's it right there. Y'all need Jesus, everybody, you know. And that's right. That's it. That's what we need. Number three, God directs His church <clears throat> to be multi-ethnic and integrated. So, this is where it has conflicted in years past in some places, but it shouldn't if we know the Bible. God never said anything about Christians dividing over nationality or color of skin. God never said that Christians should do that. God never told a church to treat another nationality different from, you know, or, or, or uh, be biased. He never, he never did. In fact, he fought. Well, listen to this. God, the Lord, had to, it took a while to, in the New Testament, to teach Peter, and probably a few of the others, to get over this difference between you being a Jew and others being a Gentile. In Acts chapter 10, I'm gonna, I'm, some of this stuff I'm giving you the reference, you can look later. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, Jewish, he has, this, uh, he has this vision, and basically I'm going to summarize the vision. The vision basically taught Peter, you need to go deal, you need to deal with every type of person. No matter if they seem like a creeping thing or a strange thing or something you're not used to, Paul or God taught Peter in this vision in Acts 10 that he needs to go to every type of person and not hesitate on it. So Peter was tested on that vision when three Gentiles came and visited him, and they basically came and visited Peter and said, hey, we have our, um, uh, somebody that you know, wants to talk to you. And, he, and Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, who was, uh, I think, Italian. He was, of course, non-Jew. And Peter goes to Cornelius' household, 
And Peter, whoa, he's like, whoa, I'm not used to going. Do I need to wash my hands again? You know? He goes into a non-Jewish house, a Gentile house. And Peter's like, man, I it's hard to get over this thing, you know. And, and, but then he realized what God was teaching him. And, and he had, here's Cornelius and all his family. And Cornelius is like, we're here, to hear, we're here to hear the word of God from you. What do you have to say? And Peter's just like, well, he had to get over himself. He had to get over his racial issue because these people needed the gospel. And God knew he had a hard time, but that's why he had to tell him this vision three times, Peter, mm, 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 you know. And so Peter's like, well, I guess uh, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, him that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so then Peter basically says, you know, I just realized God doesn't really care about that. I, I guess I just need to tell you all the gospel and, and share with you. And he did. They preached the gospel and these people were saved. My point is, even in the early church, they had a hard time getting over their own nationality. And the Lord had to help them with that. Look in Acts 13. I always like looking at this. Acts chapter 13. In the first century, if there was a church you'd want to join... You'd want to join the church in Antioch. It was exciting. Now, if you join the church in Jerusalem, it would be cool. It'd have a strong Jewish flavor, and you'd get persecuted quite easily there, and you'd get scattered. But in Acts 13, boy, this was an exciting, kind of more up in Syria. It was in Antioch, man. It was an exciting church. Barnabas was there to help kind of uh, encourage some things that happened there. But I want you to notice the nationality of some of the leaders in Acts chapter 13 here. In this early church, Acts 13, 1, now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So I want to just pause for a minute. It, it, well, it goes on to describe how God called some of those guys to be missionaries. But it's describing the, the, some of the leaders in this early church. It names them. Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levi. He was a Jewish guy. I think he grew up in Cyprus or something, but he was Jewish. Um, Simeon was a, pro, was a teacher in the church. Simeon that was called Niger. You know what Niger means? Black-skinned. Black-skinned. Yep, that's right. And then another guy named Lucius of Cyrene. You know what Lucius means? Bright white. Not, probably not as white as the paper, but bright white. And then we have a man named Manan. We're not sure about Manan. It just says Manan, well, he was kind of brought up with the house of Herod. He was, um, I read historically, they say he was probably a foster brother with Herod. But apparently he saw the light and came in the gospel light and extracted himself from the Herod household. And then Saul, who is Paul. So you have a couple, at least two Jews, Another guy that dark skin, light skin, another guy, we don't know what he is. It's an interracial, if I could use the word racial, church. <clears throat> and God blessed that church. Let's look at a couple of passages. Look in Ephesians 2. Martin Luther King, the, the civil rights reformer, I don't agree with everything he said, but I think he did some good. But he said the most segregated hour is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. He said that in his day. That's true. And he was, I think he was trying to tell black churches that too. Why are we so segregated? Um, 
And it shouldn't be that way. I'm, that's my whole point is God directs His church to be multi-ethnic. Okay, Ephesians 2, 14 and 18, 14 through 18. Notice the language here of Paul. Paul's describing how the Lord makes us one in Christ. And we come from different nationalities, but we're one in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 14, For He is our peace, who hath made both, two different sets of people, Jew and non-Jew, one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And what did Jesus do? He abolished in His flesh the enmity and the law of commandments even contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace. In other words, Jesus says, listen, the Jew and the Gentile, the Jews had these little ordinances. It's like, I can't deal with the Gentiles. Jesus says, I'm breaking down your little man-made laws there, and I'm making one. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Notice verse 17 and 18. And came and preached peace to you, Gentiles, which are far off, and to them that were nigh, that is Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Basically, Paul's saying, specifically in his day, basically, you know what Paul's saying? There should not be a Jewish-only Christian church. There should not be a Gentile-only Christian church. I mean, if, obviously, if there's no Jews around, then it's going to be mostly Gentiles. Obviously, if there's no Gentiles around, there might just only be Jews. But he's, the Jews were scattered around, and he's basically saying, there shouldn't be like, well, we're only going to have a Jewish church, or we're only going to have a Gentile. No, no. He says he broke down that wall of division. Well, I just don't like that. I just think there's sometimes, there's just, you know, sometimes it's harder to get along with people. Well, how come if we're in Christ, um, if we're in Christ, doesn't He give us a new nature? Doesn't we? Shouldn't we have the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness to where we learn to adapt to other people? Of all people who should be able to have some temperance and long-suffering and gentleness, it should be Christians who should be able to adapt and deal with this stuff. He directs His church to be multi-ethnic and integrated. Um, not okay I'm going to clarify because there's other voices that say yeah and they have the idea of just uh, what's the word pluralistic and just drop down all the differences in all the churches of, and we're not to be multi-doctrinal in other words this church accepts all people of any colors or languages if we can figure out what each other are saying we accept that, and that's how a local church should be. But I don't. We don't accept all doctrine. There's one doctrine. It's the new. We don't. No, no, don't. Don't confuse the multicolor, multi-look with multi-beliefs. No, no, no. We're bound to one belief. Uh, not. We're not ecumenical, multi-doctrine. We're not pluralistic in doctrine or morals. No. I. I've said this before, but and I hope it stays this way. But we had, when we had a, uh, a bilingual service one time, Brother Jose, we had a missionary here um, with, I think it was with Brother, when Brother Rubio preached, and this was maybe a couple years ago, a missionary named Dan Garlic was here, and um, he was observing, and he's a nice guy, and um, he said, Brother, after the church, he said, came up to me, and he says, Brother, your church looks like the community. 
And I'm like, that was a compliment. That's a compliment to the church. In other words, if there's a lot of, um, if there's a mix of races or ethnicities in a, in a community, okay, fine. Eventually that church, eventually should have samples of that if we're going to every people. Now I'm not saying some cultures aren't harder to reach. There's some harder, hard to reach. But eventually, over time, we should be looking like a mix. And if we're not, over a long time, it's like only that color there, but there's others around you that are just, okay, then something needs to, something needs to be re-examined there. So, God directs His church to be multi-ethnic and integrated. So, I'm going to wrap this up, and I want to continue tonight with these other two points. Again, it's, what we're doing is we're just going to the Bible. The Bible shows us that God d- d- divided the nations. The Bible showed us Jesus died for all those nations. The Bible shows us that His church, the church, the Christians, ought to be multi-ethnic. The Bible, we're going to see tonight, shows us that God doesn't care. And he, God hates pride. And I bring that up because pride is always sometimes a, another word to modify what person, how a person is describing their race. And God doesn't care about God hates pride. And then the last point, of course, is that God's looking at character. He's looking at the inner man without respect to a a person's outer man. I want to say this. Let's remember this as Christians. Think about this. Because I get sometimes, I see what's going on out there, and I get a little upset on how people are behaving and acting, and it bothers me. But I start realizing, now think about this. What is it that, what is our greatest, um, what is our greatest thing that satisfies us by way of our identity? What's the greatest thing that makes me say, I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad I'm identified as, the greatest thing that satisfies us in regards to our identity is Christ. I'm accepted in the beloved. That's my greatest form of, I mean, Sometimes I'm waking up in the morning, I'm like, I don't, I'm not liking my identity right now. The bags are getting bigger, you know, under the eyes. And so, but I know that spiritually, and I'm in Christ. Oh, I love my identity in Christ. I couldn't control that I was born a light brown man. I was, but, but I can choose to be, to accept Christ or not. My greatest, my greatest um, value is in my identity with Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, now let's think about this. What about somebody who doesn't know that? What about somebody who hasn't had the mentality of, my values in Christ, it's not in my talents because they can fade. It's not in my abilities because that fades. It's not in my looks because it's going to go. My value is in Jesus Christ. We say, oh, that's great. What about somebody who doesn't know that? And they're, people sometimes want something to fight for. They want a cause. They want something. So they look at themselves. They think back at the old dear grandpa. I'm from the German. I'm from a African American. I'm from a Hispanic. I'm from an Irish. And they think back, and again, mentality is detached from Jesus Christ. <sighs> Must be important. What's that? They're mistreating Germans? Hmm. What's that? They're mistreating African Americans? Hmm. And so they get so worked up about that. And they think that's their value is in their skin color. And, we, and I used to think, why are people like that? And I'm like, because they don't really have a true cause. They don't find identity in Christ where the real value lies. 
It's okay to acknowledge nations and ethnicities and even know the particulars of Adam, the strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes it's funny. But, but that's not where my ultimate cause, my ultimate cause isn't color, it's Christ. It's my ultimate, and that's your ultimate. So let's remember that while people, I'm, I'm trying to think, why are people so worked up? That's their cause. That's their great commission for some people. That's the great commission for some people is color. We've got to keep winning the color wars. Well, until they meet crisis, might not change. So back to Acts 17, we'll try to close. It says there of one blood, of one blood, he made all nations. <clears throat> so everybody here might look a little different from each other, but we're all blood relatives. I'm not, it's funny, but it's also true, right? We're all blood relatives. Might go way, way back and branch just right in front of the ark there, but, you know, but eventually, blood relatives. Okay, but wait. But only another blood will make us relatives in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross is divine. And faith in that blood is what puts us in a higher family, the family of God. Unto him that washed us from our own sins and his blood hath made us kings and priests unto God, it says in Revelation. We're blood related, but only his blood brings redemption. And so let's remember that and, and God help us also tonight as we come back and continue this discussion from God's Word. Let's pray. 17 is where we'll begin. We have a topical message today. We uh, usually are in the book of Matthew. Take a little pause from that today. Acts chapter 17. And today I'd like to give God's perspective on racial issues. God's perspective on racial issues from from a survey of scripture, really, not just one. <clears throat> and if you, um, if we, if we're reading our Bible, and we're, you know, we know what it says, the whole racial tension and debate uh, shouldn't be hard for us to figure out. It should be pretty easy uh, to know God's mind on it. And um, so, what we're going to look at. <clears throat> His perspective on racial issues. We're going to start out in Acts 17 now just to help you get to imagine the, the scene here. The Apostle Paul is, he's a Jewish, uh, he's a Jewish man, he's got Roman citizenship, and he's in Athens, Greece, the Athenians, speaking to another group of men that different mind, different culture, and uh, he's giving a speech, he's actually really preaching to them, he's going to present them with Christ, and they're not going to like it. But I want you to see one particular thing he says <clears throat> in Acts 17. We'll, let's just do verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 24 to verse 28 is what we'll read. Verse 24 to 28, Acts 17, again, Paul is speaking to the Athenians, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, 
and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Notice the, notice the phrase there, verse 26, that Paul asserts that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. How many of us have a European heritage? All right, I think I do, according to... All right, uh, Hispanic heritage, all right, cool, all right. And Asian, Nakatsu, yeah, Asian Pacific, yeah, we, look at that. International Royal View Baptist here. Um, African, anybody? Sometimes, yeah. All right. Got some back there. Jewish. Anybody got a little bit of Jewish blood? Okay. All right. Look at this. But wait a minute. What did the Jew what did the what did the African heritage come from? What did the European where was their heritage? <laughs> What was the Asians' heritage? If you were in Asia 2,000 years ago, where were you from? Well, we came from, and it's going to go back to something else, and it'll go back to some descendant, 70 families that were after the Tower of Babel, and which came from three other families named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's blood. We go back to that blood, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and their blood goes back to Noah. And then Noah, of course, he pre and post ark person, goes back to Adam. So we all have Adam's blood. We all have Noah's blood, all of us. So when we say, this is my flesh and blood right here, we usually say, when we're talking to a child or a person, a relative, oh, it's my flesh and blood. And, we, and, you know, we usually mean it's my immediate close family. But we all have, we're all from the same flesh and blood. There was only one Adam that is the I should, the first of Jesus is the second Adam. There's one Adam by way of biologically, one Adam. And we came from that one Adam, and there was so much genetic potential in him and Eve that produced a, such a variety of, we would say races, it's best to say people groups or ethnicities. That's where we came from. So in reality, um, we are all family Humanly speaking, we're all offspring. God made us all of one blood. We're all in the human family. Now, we're not all in God's family. That's a different issue. But today, of course, we're living in our country as the racial tensions have risen again because of the incident in, in Minnesota, and then perhaps some already grudges have been welling up because of how people have been treated or alleged to be treated. You know, there's... Um, of uh, African-American particularly uh, by police, and I wonder how often it's happening. I don't think it doesn't seem like it's happening that often, but nevertheless, the whole idea and the whole issue of race, race is put in front of our face, and people are um, 
get angry on one side or angry on another, and people, um, it's tense. You know, you can't hardly say anything. Did I need to apologize for what I just said a minute ago? Well, I didn't mean it that way. I just said the, the sun is bright. I mean, people are making you apologize for every little thing you say. Uh, people are tense and on edge. Um, people are upset about racial treatment because of something that happened to them when they were younger or their parent or grandparent in the civil rights era or maybe even Hispanic families that had some mistreatment years ago. And so sometimes old grudges come up and say, yeah, we need to change things and, and all that. And I'm not saying that politically some things couldn't change. I'm not trying to establish political policy here. But, but right now there's that tension. And, and then with the riots that have happened um, with, um, you know, they had the police officer incident in um, Minnesota, and so it's triggered these riots, and people, some have good intentions, some have bad intentions, some hidden intentions, and I think some people are using this to get in a political agenda. They're perhaps, I bet you, honestly, I think some people are absolutely glad this happened because it's a, it's a vehicle for them to get in some kind of... Um, agenda that they want to slip in now for political purposes or financial purposes. And others are, have a legitimate, you know, they're, hey, this isn't right. You know, in my community, I've seen cops do this and that. And maybe in their little microscopic or their little small world, they've seen cops mistreat African-Americans or other people of other uh, races. And so they might think they project that on the whole country, and the whole country must be that way. And so they might think that way, and, and they may have a concern, and and so I think some of this is being exploited by some people um, for crime, of course. We've had, we've had the riots and the crime. Some people are probably happy that there's a frenzy so they can have an excuse to commit a crime. And it's, it's, what it's doing is bearing the ugly side right. of man, our sinfulness. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, when I was younger... Um, my dad had took me a few times to, I don't even know if it's called this anymore, Firebird International Raceway. Has it changed the name to like the casino or something? The casinos have the names for everything. Well, it used to be called Firebird International Raceway. Anybody ever been there? The drag strip over here? Okay. Um, we went there a few times. My dad and I went there. And one of the times we had, um, well, let me back up. How many of you ever seen top fuel drag cars? I mean, like within 20 yards. I, I, so we went there uh, one time, and I remember being down by the bleachers, and these top fuel drag cars, and they're funny cars, and there's a rocket car that was kind of like a novelty, and then some others. But I remember the top fuel drag cars and the funny cars. I would be only within like 20 yards. And I couldn't see straight. I mean, it was so loud, it, and I'd go like that. It was loud, so I'd have to hold my hand on my ears. They're so loud, and they would rev up, and when they took off, I mean, my, I was like, my, I couldn't see straight. I was like, it's shaking the ground, and I, I can't see this. It was this loud. I mean, it seemed like something's cool going on, but it was just, ah, ah, I thought this was cool. You know, it's not that cool. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so my dad and I had... So I was down by the bleachers a few times. My dad and I had a customer at our body shop. He was, a, he was involved in Jolly Rancher candy 
And Jolly Rancher Candy was a big sponsor at the time of a few of the drag, um, big name drag guys. And uh, he gave my dad and I, so we painted this, his, name's, his name is Rich Dennis, is the man, our customer's name. We painted a few of his vehicles. In fact, he used to live here in Gilbert. And one time he basically gave us, I don't know how it worked, Dad. It's like basically we got tickets to go up into the tower at Firebird International Raceway. Is it like three stories, four stories? What is it? I think we're on the second or third story up in this tower. Um, there was a third story. So we got, we got to go in there. It was like a little suite. It's not big. It's, the tower is not that big. But we got to go in there. And um, in our third floor, they have a few. The seats even, it's kind of like few, four rows that are even um, you know, like little bleachers there, even in the even in that tower, and you got snacks in the back, of course, Jolly Rancher candy and stuff like that. And so I'm like, this is cool. Yeah, so get some pop and candy and sit down. And, and so we had really good seats, and we're right there, right at the, kind of like the drag strips like this, and it's kind of like this at an angle looking right there. And you can see them both, uh, the drag cars stage themselves and do their burnout and then back up and then, then their race. So that was really neat. I got to sit in there with my dad and Rich and some other guys, and and we're watching, I'm like, this is great. I can see it. I can see the burnout. I can see the, um, you know, I can see the, the, the nice car. I can see when it, when it, when it takes off, it, it, my eyes aren't going like that, you know. I, I can see it clearly. This is great. I love this, you know. You know, it makes me, it's kind of an analogy of something for us as Christians is that if you and I, no matter what the issue is, no matter what it is, if it's a racial issue, the homosexual issue, the abortion issue, all kinds of social issues, and they're going to come and go, and some of them are going to come and stay longer, and new ones will come. No matter what the issue is, when we're down on the mental level of everybody else, and we're wrapped up in the frenzy and the mentality of everyone else, you really can't see straight. But when you get step, put your mind into God's Word and lift yourself up a little bit and see from His perspective you will see every issue clearly like he wants to, wants you to. Thy judgments are right. God's viewpoint is right and clear. It's in the scripture. I know, Lord, that thy judgments are right, the psalmist says. In other words, we need to have God's worldview on everything. And I'm just saying, as we come back to this thought, is that we, of all people in the world, should be able to see through the whole racial issue clearly, not because we're special, but because we've been redeemed. And God says, Here I want, here's how I want you to see the world. This is how I see it. Here's how I want you to see lost humanity. Here's how I want you to see the nations. Here's how I want you to see yourself. Rather than being down here among all the others, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I got this heated, I got this heated notion. I got this heated. I don't really care about what everybody else thinks. What does God say about any one issue? That's what I want to know first. So as I've looked in the Bible, and we dealt with this last year on Wednesday nights, we do this series called God's Word on Today's Issues, and we dealt with this. And I'll, you'll probably hear a few things that we that you were taught last year on a Wednesday night. But here's what I want to assert that are helpful. I'll probably only do three of them right now, and then perhaps the other two tonight. Is there's five truths, again, truths, God's truth, five truths that I believe will guide us in our view of so-called racism. Five Bible, five Bible truths. Let me just tell you them, 
And I think if we take them seriously, it'll be like, okay, this helps balance my mentality and my attitude. The first thing is this, and we'll look at these first three, and I'll, but I'm going to give you an overview. Number one, you see in the scripture that God divided the nations. All right? We're going to see that. Number two, God's son died for all of them. Number three, God directs his church to be multi-ethnic. It's very clear in the Bible. Number four, God hates pride in any flavor. Number, number four, God hates pride in any flavor, every flavor. Number five, God values the inner man without respect to the outer man. Now, if we were to take, those are Bible truths. If we were to take those seriously, that would just help our mentality. It'd help our attitude. So let's consider those truths today. Let's consider the fact when it comes to race, things like that, do you realize that God is the one who caused it to be that there should be nations and that we look different and we have languages? God caused that. Let's look in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10, and we'll look at verse 32, and then we'll look at a couple verses in chapter 11. Genesis 10, 32, it says, Now these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now, again, verse 32 is describing all the verses before it. See all those verses before it? The sons of Javan, and these are the sons of the so-and-so, and this is the son of this person. And, and it's giving about 70 families, if I remember right, 70 families in chapter, seven, chapter 10 are listed. Verse 32 it comments, these are the families that basically came out from Noah. Of course, they came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons. And then eventually, there's 70 families. And what, what most Bible commentators that take the Bible literally believe, this was about the amount of families that had to disperse the Tower of Babel. Verse chapter 11 tells about the Tower of Babel. All right, I'm not going to read all of it, but let me tell you a few quick things about it. It's important that we understand it, though. God had told after Noah and his sons got off the ark, he says, now go out, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That basically means have a lot of kids and go everywhere. And don't just stay in one spot. But they didn't do that. They had, they had families and they kind of, hey, let's stay together, man. Let's have a kind of a globalist group here. Let's all be together. We're going to build towers. Look what we can do. And it kind of had this humanistic uh, globalist mentality, let's just stay together and see what man can do. And they built this tower, and God said, that's pretty cute. Let me go check it out. And yeah. he goes down there, and he checks it out. Whoa, I'm impressed. I'm being sarcastic here. But God did come down and check it out. And, he's, and basically, God's like, well, they didn't do what I said, so... All of a sudden, everybody's speaking differently. Man, I don't understand that guy anymore. Well, I don't understand you anymore. And all of a sudden, people couldn't understand you. God confounded their languages. And I don't know exactly how many. Perhaps it was 70. I don't know. But God confounded the languages. He said, I told you to do this. And, and that's how he got them to split up. 
And so they split up, and some went one way, and some went another, and another, and when some went one way, eventually some other years, some kept going another way, and it just, you know, all, you know, you, there's a whole, it's a fascinating study on the dispersion of the nations. It's fascinating. But I'm trying to summarize it. Basically, if you get a group of people going off in another area and they multiply among themselves, they're going to end up looking a certain way. And if they don't have enough melanin in their skin, melanin makes us darker. And then, man, I don't, this heat's getting to me. They're going to tend to go to a cooler place. And there's a whole study on this, but it basically, that we are the, the nations, the different looks, the different genetic characteristics started out because people divided up. And it's really to the glory of God that we have this variety. Because that he created Adam and Eve with such genetic potential. They're probably brown. People say white and black, and I say that too. But in reality, we're all brown. Do I have a piece of paper here? That's white. If you saw me like that, you'd call 911. I'm brown. Sometimes reddish brown. When I get sick, I'm a greenish brown, you know. That's white. That genetically, we all have like a brown, you know. So Adam and Eve have this, this potential of having, and again, scientists, geneticists, they can know this. There's such potential in them to have the dark and then eventually the light and then all. It's a, it's a fascinating study. So, you know, there was that genetic potential. But God, God did that. He, he, he made that potential in Adam and Eve. And then after the ark, they dispersed the nations. And then the nations became distinctly looking a certain way. Number two, so God divided the nations. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to look at chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, just so you see what it, kind of the summary there. Chapter 11, so the Lord scattered them. <clears throat> he saw there what they're building, and he said, all right, I need to scatter them. He scattered them abroad, verse 8 says, from, from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Ah, they didn't get a finished building that. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Babel means confusion, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. He scattered them abroad. He never said to not ever interact still, but He just got people scattered. You know, it's, it's kind of like God made this beautiful earth, and uh, the flood destroyed it, and then waters receded, and He... It was a, a new earth, and everybody stayed in one place. It's like God said, hey, why don't you go check out the rest of the earth I made? Check out the rest of the animals. And they didn't, so he divided the nations, and that's as a result. So we have our dis distinctions here in our appearance and our nationalities. Number two, this is an important truth. As we, as we think about racism and racial tension, just think, you know what? God made us different. It's to his glory. Number two, God's son died for all. If we're all the sons of Adam... That's who Jesus came to die for. He didn't come to die for the sons of something else. He came to die for the sons of Adam. And that's who we are. God's son died for all. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, uh, God said, Jesus Christ said to his Jewish disciples, 
He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach, he told his disciples, all nations. The word nations is ethnos. Go teach all ethnicities. He told his disciples. Jesus, why? Because Jesus died for all. Um, why did Jesus die for all peoples, all nations? Because all peoples have a sin problem. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference. Uh, in fact, Romans 3.10, Paul emphasizes, he says, As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, there's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone aside, they have all gone their own way. There's no difference, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, but he, so in other words, Paul says, and, and Paul knew he's talking to, he knew that Jews tended to be very self-righteous, Greeks tended to be, were the intellects, who knows what everybody else thought. Paul says everybody's got a sin problem, and that's why Jesus came to die for everybody's sin problem. And by the way, since everybody has a sin problem, every race can have, every ethnicity can tend to be racist. Everybody can be racist. I've seen all sorts, if you get in a, if you, if a culture gets big enough, eventually the sin's going to manifest itself in, you know, Hispanic racism, to Hispanics being racist to somebody else, and Native Americans being racist to somebody else, whites being racist back to somebody else, whites being racist to, they think the guy on the other side of town, is, I'm racist to the guy that lives in that town that maybe looks like me. People, we have this perverted, twisted way of looking down our nose at somebody who looks different than us, sounds different than us, smells different than us, uh, lives in a different thing to us, and we have that tendency because of sin, not because of not government funding. So, it's a sin problem. And by the way, the salvation is for, I love Romans 10, 12, and 13. It says, for whosoever, let me just read it, Romans 10, 12, and 13. You can see it with me if you want. <clears throat> Paul says, Romans 10, 12, and 13, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. He's saying the Jew and the non-Jew. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, Paul's saying, look, in other words, Paul's saying, yes, the Jew has a, an advantage in some ways because he had the scriptures and he knew he was close to the oracles of God and unto them were committed God's covenants. But, but God, Paul's saying, listen, if, any, if a Jew does not call on the name of the Lord, he's not going to be saved. But if a Greek or some other person who hardly knows anything of the Lord except he hears the gospel, he calls on the name of the Lord, he's going to be saved. There's no difference to God. He's no respecter of persons in that sense. Jesus, God's Son, died for all. You know, you know this whole thing, all of our friend, all of our, the tension, it really bothers me. It breaks my heart of these riots and stuff like that's going on, which, and I want to say something else about that. But it keeps making me think, like the, the one black lady that walked in the big crowd and had the T-shirt and said, y'all need Jesus on her T-shirt. I'm like, that's it right there. 
Y'all need Jesus, everybody, you know. And that's right. That's it. That's what we need. Number three, God directs His church to be multi-ethnic and integrated. So, this is where it has conflicted in years past in some places, but it shouldn't if we know the Bible. God never said anything about Christians dividing over nationality or color of skin. God never said that Christians should do that. God never told a church to treat another nationality different from, you know, or, or, or uh, be biased. He never, he never did. In fact, he fought. Well, listen to this. God, the Lord, had to, it took a while to, in the New Testament, to teach Peter, and probably a few of the others, to get over this difference between you being a Jew and others being a Gentile. In Acts chapter 10, I'm gonna, I'm, some of this stuff I'm giving you the reference, you can look later. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, Jewish, he has this, uh, he has this vision, and basically I'm going to summarize the vision. The vision basically taught Peter, you need to go deal, you need to deal with every type of person. No matter if they seem like a creeping thing or a strange thing or something you're not used to, Paul or God taught Peter in this vision in Acts 10 that he needs to go to every type of person and not hesitate on it. So Peter was tested on that vision when three Gentiles came and visited him and they basically came and visited Peter and said, hey, we have our, um, uh, somebody that you know, wants to talk to you. And, he, and Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, who was, uh, I think, Italian. He was, of course, non-Jew. And Peter goes to Cornelius' household and Peter, whoa, he's like, whoa, I'm not used to going. Do I need to wash my hands again? No. He goes into a non-Jewish house, a Gentile house. And Peter's like, man, I can't, it's hard to get over this thing, you know. And, and, but then he realized what God was teaching him. And, and he had, here's Cornelius and all his family. And Cornelius is like, we're here, to hear, we're here to hear the word of God from you. What do you have to say? And Peter's just like, well, he had to get over himself. He had to get over his racial issue because these people needed the gospel. And God knew he had a hard time, but that's why he had to tell him this vision three times, Peter, mm, 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 you know. And so Peter's like, well, I guess uh, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, him that feareth him and his worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so then Peter basically says, you know, I just realized God doesn't really care about that. I, I guess I just need to tell you all the gospel and... And share with you. And he did. They preached the gospel, and these people were saved. My point is, even in the early church, they had a hard time getting over their own nationality. And the Lord had to help them with that. Look in Acts 13. I always like looking at this. Acts chapter 13. In the first century, if there was a church you'd want to join, you'd want to join the church in Antioch. It was exciting. Now, if you joined the church in Jerusalem, it would be cool. It'd have a strong Jewish flavor, and you'd get persecuted quite easily there, and you'd get scattered. But in Acts 13, boy, this was an exciting, kind of more up in Syria. It was in Antioch, man, it was an exciting church. Barnabas was there to help kind of uh, encourage some things that happened there. But I want you to notice the nationality of some of the leaders in Acts chapter 13 here in this early church. Acts 13, 1, now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene 
and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So I want to just pause for a minute. It, it, well, it goes on to describe how God called some of those guys to be missionaries. But it's describing the, the, some of the leaders in this early church. It names them. Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levi. He was a Jewish guy. I think he grew up in Cyprus or something, but he was Jewish. Um, Simeon was a, pro, was a teacher in the church. Simeon that was called Niger. You know what Niger means? Black-skinned. Black-skinned. Yep, that's right. And then another guy named Lucius of Cyrene. You know what Lucius means? Bright white. Not, probably not as white as the paper, but bright white. And then we have a man named Manan. We're not sure about Manan. It just says Manan, well, he was kind of brought up with the house of Herod. He was, um, I read historically, they say he was probably a foster brother with Herod. But apparently he saw the light and came in gospel light and extracted himself from the Herod household. And then Saul, who is Paul. So you have a couple, at least two Jews, another guy that dark skin, light skin, another guy, we don't know what he is. It's an interracial, if I could use the word racial, church. <clears throat> and God blessed that church. Let's look at a couple of passages. Look in Ephesians 2. Martin Luther King, the, the civil rights reformer, I don't agree with everything he said, but I think he did some good. But he said the most segregated hour is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. He said that in his day. That's true. And he was, I think he was trying to tell black churches that too. Why are we so segregated? Um, and it shouldn't be that way. I'm, that's my whole point is God directs his church to be multi-ethnic. Okay, Ephesians 2. 14 and 18, 14 through 18. Notice the language here of Paul. Paul's describing how the Lord makes us one in Christ. And we come from different nationalities, but we're one in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 14, For He is our peace, who hath made both, two different sets of people, Jew and non-Jew, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And what did Jesus do? He abolished in his flesh the enmity and the law of commandments even contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. In other words, Jesus says, listen, the Jew and the Gentile, the Jews had these little ordinances. They like, I can't deal with the Gentiles. Jesus says, I'm breaking down your little man-made laws there and I'm making one. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, notice verse 17 and 18, and came and preached peace to you, Gentiles, which are far off, and to them that were nigh, that is Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Basically, Paul's saying, specifically in his day, basically, you know what Paul's saying? There should not be a Jewish-only Christian church. There should not be a Gentile-only Christian church. I mean, if, obviously, if there's no Jews around, then it's going to be mostly Gentiles. Obviously, if there's no Gentiles around, there might just only be Jews. But he's, the Jews were scattered around, and he's basically saying, there shouldn't be like, well, we're only going to have a Jewish church, or we're only going to have a Gentile. No, no. He says he broke down that wall of division. 
Well, I just don't like that. I just think there's sometimes, it's just, you know, sometimes it's harder to get along with people. Well, how come if we're in Christ, um, if we're in Christ, doesn't He give us a new nature? Doesn't we, shouldn't we have the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness to where we learn to adapt to other people? Of all people who should be able to have some temperance and long-suffering and gentleness, it should be Christians who should be able to adapt and deal with this stuff. He directs his church to be multi-ethnic and integrated. Um, not, okay, I'm going to clarify, because there's other voices that say, yeah. And they have the idea of just, uh, what's the word? Pluralistic, and just drop down all the differences in all the churches of, and we're not to be multi-doctrinal. In other words, this church accepts all people of any colors or languages, if we can figure out what each other are saying. We accept that, and that's how a local church should be. But I don't, we don't accept all doctrine. There's one doctrine. It's the new, we don't, no, no, don't, don't confuse the multi-color, multi-look with multi-beliefs. No, no, no. We're bound to one belief. Uh, not mul- we're not ecumenical, multi-doctrine. We're not pluralistic in doctrine or morals. No. I, I've said this before, but, and I hope it stays this way. But we had, when we had a, uh, a bilingual service one time, Brother Jose, we had a missionary here um, with, I think it was with Brother, when Brother Rubio preached, and this was maybe a couple years ago, a missionary named Dan Garlic was here, and um, he was observing, and he's a nice guy. And uh, he said, Brother, after the church, he said, came up to me, he says, Brother, your church looks like the community. And I'm like, that was a compliment. That's a compliment to the church. In other words, if there's a lot of, um, if there's a mix of races or ethnicities in a, in a community, okay, fine. Eventually that church, eventually should have samples of that if we're going to every people. Now I'm not saying some cultures aren't harder to reach. There's some harder, hard to reach. But eventually, over time, we should be looking like a mix. And if we're not, over a long time, it's like only that color there, but there's others around you that are just, okay, then something needs to, something needs to be reexamined there. So God directs his church to be multi-ethnic and integrated. So I'm going to wrap this up, and I want to continue tonight with these other two points. Again, it's, what we're doing is we're just going to the Bible. The Bible shows us that God d- d- divided the nations. The Bible showed us Jesus died for all those nations. The Bible shows us that His church, the church, the Christians, ought to be multi-ethnic. The Bible we're going to see tonight shows us that God doesn't care. And he, God hates pride. And I bring that up because pride is always sometimes a, another word to modify what person, how a person is describing their race. And God doesn't care about God hates pride. And then the last point, of course, is that God's looking at character. He's looking at the inner man without respect to a a person's outer man. I want to say this. Let's remember this as Christians. Think about this. Because I get sometimes, I see what's going on out there, and I get a little upset on how people are behaving and acting, and it bothers me. But I start realizing, now think about this. 
what is it that what is our greatest um, what is our greatest thing that satisfies us by way of our identity? What's the greatest thing that makes me say, I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad I'm identified as? The greatest thing that satisfies us in regards to our identity is Christ. I'm accepted in the beloved. That's my greatest form of, I mean, sometimes I'm waking up in the morning, I'm like, I don't, I'm not liking my identity right now. The bags are getting bigger, you know, under the eyes. And so, but I know that spiritually, I'm in Christ. Oh, I love my identity in Christ. I couldn't control that I was born a light brown man. <laughs> I was, but, but I can choose to, be, to accept Christ or not. My greatest, my greatest um, value is in my identity with Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, now let's think about this. What about somebody who doesn't know that? What about somebody who hasn't had the mentality of, my values in Christ, it's not in my talents because they can fade. It's not in my abilities because that fades. It's not in my looks because it's going to go. My value is in Jesus Christ. We say, oh, that's great. What about somebody who doesn't know that? And they're, people sometimes want something to fight for. They want a cause. They want some. So they look at themselves. They think back at the old dear grandpa. I'm from a German. I'm from an African-American. I'm from a Hispanic. I'm from an Irish, and they think back, and again, mentality is detached from Jesus Christ. <sighs> Must be important. What's that? They're mistreating Germans? Hmm. What's that? They're mistreating African Americans? Hmm. And so they get so worked up about that, and they think that's their value is in their skin color. And, we, and I used to think, why are people like that? And I'm like, because they don't really have a true cause. They don't find identity in Christ where they're... Real value lies. It's okay to acknowledge nations and ethnicities and even know the particulars about them, the strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes it's funny. But, but that's not where my ultimate cause, my ultimate cause isn't color, it's Christ. It's my ultimate, and that's your ultimate. So let's remember that while people, I'm, I'm trying to think, why are people so worked up? That's their cause. That's their great commission for some people. That's the great commission for some people is color. We've got to keep winning the color wars. Well, until they meet crisis, might not change. So back to Acts 17, we'll try to close. It says there of one blood, of one blood, he made all nations. <clears throat> so everybody here might look a little different from each other, but we're all blood relatives. I'm not, it's funny, but it's also true, right? We're all blood relatives. Might go way, way back and branch just right in front of the ark there, but, you know, but eventually, blood relatives. Okay, but wait, but only another blood will make us relatives in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross is divine, and faith in that blood is what puts us in a higher family, the family of God. Unto him that washed us from our own sins and his blood hath made us kings and priests unto God, it says in Revelation. We're blood related, but only his blood brings redemption. And so let's remember that and, and God help us also tonight as we come back and continue this discussion from God's Word. Let's pray.